No joke. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Charity Charge Show. Today is very special because I have the supreme ruler of the universe on this episode. <laughs> this is Stella Kafka, who is the executive director of the American Meteorological Society. Stella, thank you so much for being on today. Stephen, thank you so much for the, uh, for the opportunity and for the invitation. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Tell us, tell the audience, what is the American Meteorological Society? I know you all have been around believe since 1919. We are an organization that is more than 100 years old, um, whose charge is to advance the uh, weather, water, climate enterprise for the benefit of society. We are a nonprofit organization, meaning that all the income that uh, comes to our coffers go back to our programmatic priorities. And we offer all kinds of programs such as conferences, meetings, uh, scientific journals, opportunity for uh, scientists and researchers to publish. Uh, we offer a very uh, rich suite of classes for educators. We offer an accreditation program. Um, we have a, uh, an international membership. So we, have, we talk to individuals from all over the world. And what we are pretty much doing is trying to um, make the best of uh, science uh, or um, come up with the right science that could uh, lead. Can I start over? Of course, just go, yeah, go for it. Yeah, so what we're trying to do is uh, make sure that the science comes out and is shared with individuals and that science around climate, think about uh, also hazardous weather conditions, et cetera, uh, it leads to solutions to keep people safe. How has the mission and, and changed over the years? I sort of just think about where we are today. You know, I only have a perspective, I'm 36. Um, and growing up, uh, you know, we recycled in my household yeah. and the school I went, went to McDonough school in Maryland had a pretty involved curriculum about science and climate and recycling and all that stuff through the 12 years that I was there. Yeah. Um, and then today, obviously, you know, climate is a top priority for many people and not a top priority for other people, but it's obviously talked about a lot. Yes. What has changed? I mean, what do you think was the perspective of the founders in 1919 in starting AMS and how has like the organization evolved over the years to stay relevant? Right. So think about modes of communication back in 1919, right? Uh, scientists were communicated prim communicating primarily two different ways. Uh, the one was publishing manuscripts. So the results of the research would go in a scientific journal shared with everybody else. And the second one is uh, discussing their out the outcome of their research in scientific conferences. So AMS was facilitating both. Most scientific societies actually started as publishing groups uh, as a, a way for scientists to bring together their, uh, their manuscripts, their results, um, make sure they're peer reviewed and are published in a, in a consistent way. So the knowledge is shared and this, this would be the, the way to promote science itself. Now, the AMS has evolved since then, the science has evolved, it has grown since then, because science and scientists have grown um, and added um, different aspects of our, um, 
programs such as education. So talking to teachers who are interested in teaching climate, weather, water, uh, science in the classrooms or uh, meteorologists themselves wanted to get uh, some kind of a, an accreditation in order to increase their uh, credentials and get a better uh, job and things like that. So we added different components. Things have not changed much though. Mostly we are communicating science through journals and through meetings and you add the internet. So we have all kinds of online avenues of sharing this information. So if not anything else, um, our, our business has accelerated because individuals right now have different uh, needs than they had a hundred years ago. Sure. Uh, now, when you publish something, you want to see it right away, right? You want to know what's new and exciting in science. Now, uh, when you can't go to a meeting, you want to be able to participate virtually. So even if um, your travel schedule or your work schedule does not allow you to travel or you can't afford to travel, you really want to be part of the conversation. And of course, with social media, a, commu a community is being built every day discussing different uh, issues. Um, another way that things have changed for AMS is the means that individuals have to take data. So field trips, uh, some field trips have been replaced with radars and with uh, satellite uh, data and modeling with the, the advancement of uh, computers, um, theoretical calculations have become much faster to, to make predictions on how weather is changing in different locations. And we know more about the Earth system, right? The atmospheric system. Mm -hmm. We know more about uh, different phenomena that are actually uh, contributing to, to weather. And we have a lot of data on, day, on uh, climate, right? Mm -hmm. Long-term trends. Uh, and we have ways of measuring these kind of changes. So we, we have advanced with the technology. We have advanced with science. We have advanced with people's needs. And pretty much this is why we're around, right? To, to, to satisfy the needs of the community. There's not only the scientific community, but also the private sector, right? Uh, weather and climate is in the private sector as well, the way they do business, the way they communicate business, even business itself mm -hmm. is around this kind of, of uh, themes. And of course, we have a lot of individuals in the government. So we're, we are pretty much the intersect of all those circles, like a Venn diagram. And we're trying to direct communication among all those groups in all kinds of means that we, we can. Things I, I'm, I'm really excited, actually. This is one of the things that really excite me in this particular field because things not only have changed, but will change. Mm -hmm. So we're keeping our antennas up for what's new, what our members want, what are uh, the communications between the individuals, how can we facilitate, facilitate that, what science tells us it's the next step, et cetera. What may have changed, just curious, over the past couple of years with COVID starting and work from home and whatnot, have the needs... Like how has AMS evolved or not evolved and how has the community evolved or not evolved or what have they asked for you differently? You know, it's not surprising, right? That we became more virtual. So our community requested for our exams to become virtual, for our uh, courses to become virtual, virtual, for our meetings to become hybrid. As people are emerging from the COVID era our meetings uh, have a very strong online component. Uh, and one of the things that is... Um, and to add to that, 
uh, our meetings as a result became more accessible, became more inclusive. Individuals can join from anywhere they want and or can access the recordings at the leisure. So we can accommodate even different time zones if you think about it, right? Um, this is pretty much the, the big effect of COVID. And it's, it's pretty much not only on, on the AMS, but even the way that we interact with each other. A lot of individuals who still work from home were, are not very comfortable to get out of home. So we've learned how to even have happy hours uh, through Zoom, right? How to actually- What's have your drink of that. choice? Yeah, it's- uh, so What's your drink of choice? Mine, right yeah. now, tea. Tea? Yes. Very tea, nice. Tea morning, and I like, um, I enjoy a glass of wine every now and then. That, well, that's what I was asking for the happy hours. Yeah, um, over the happy hours. Yes. So it's, uh, you know, just have wine hours or even cooking together or even sharing stories. Um, we've, we've learned how to interact a little bit more. And I think that this has enriched the quality of our interactions because we, we put it as part of our life. Um, I have to tell you, Stephen, I really meet, miss meeting pe people in person. Mm -hmm. For me, meetings was not just a, a way of getting information. And I'm pretty sure that it's for many people. It's to actually get together with my friends and collaborators and brainstorm. Um, we used to do a lot of really good uh, brainstorming and discussion of science over lunch, right? So you meet someone at a conference, you get together, oh, let's have lunch. And you get around the table and you talk science and you just geek out. Well, that's part of like the scientific method is just the um, serendipity that can happen. And iterations. Mm -hmm. At some point, just going back and forth, trying to understand, uh, trying to get to a solution, uh, to a problem solution. It requires a little bit of uh, um, getting out of your comfort zone and discuss aspects of science that you perhaps don't know very well. And that is much easier happening in person than you know, virtually or three mail or I don't know what else I'm using. So there, there are two different aspects here. I think that uh, COVID made us more efficient. COVID made us more accessible in, in, in terms of our uh, different uh, aspects of communication and inclusive. Um, we're trying to replicate this in-person component and experience online. Uh, technology is not there yet. So I'm not really sure what the end result will be. Maybe we'll actually come up with some kind of, a, I don't know, visors and virtual walking places. Um, so that is our challenge. But I really like the efficiency part. I really like the fact that we can actually do things much faster because of virtual means. That's great. Mm -hmm. um, tell us also now, I want to sort of shift gears a little bit about just your, um, you know, career and your time in the nonprofit sector, I think one of the really interesting things to point out is that, you know, you shared with me that you were the fifth overall executive director of AMS yes. and you're the first female yep. immigrant non-meteorologist at AMS. Yes. And so, you know, I'm curious just in general, your perspective, obviously, um, you know, I think it's obviously a long time coming. But I feel that over the past handful of years, we've had a big um, sort of awakening and growth around, um, you know, giving women the recognition that they deserve and, and um, empowerment 
um, in all things, including career related. So what is your just uh, perspective on being the first female executive director of AMS? And um, how has it been being the leader? You know, and I'm, I, I think there's always these like challenges when you have longstanding organizations, there's a lot of value in that, but sometimes mm-hmm. there can be carried over sort of like legacy things. So this conversation is all positive, but I'm just kind of curious, you know, your perspective, because I think we're seeing obviously more and more um, women in leadership positions, certainly in the business world, or well, I should say that, excuse me, the for-profit world. Um, mm-hmm. And it's great to see that continuing to grow in the nonprofit sector. What are your thoughts? I hope that um, when we're hired in this kind of positions, we are hired because of merit, not because mm-hmm. of gender. Uh, and I've seen that in other leaders of nonprofits uh, who are or and or identify being female, um, that they are the best of the best in their field and their contribution is immeasurable. Uh, there is some kind of um, weird dynamic with the outside world, quote unquote, of your of our association of you know when people react differently when I tell them that I run a nonprofit, as in oh, as if something is it's um, unusual or something that is weird, right? Uh, and it goes back to a conversation I've had with many. Uh, individual, especially younger individuals, how does a scientist look like? How does a director look like? So when you think about an executive director of an organization, what is the picture in front of you? What is a person? What does that person look like? Um, the AMS is an extremely welcoming place. It's a wonderful place to work. And it's a wonderful uh, group of individuals who actually have embraced me as if I've been here for a long time. We had a, a lunch conversation today with some of, the, of my staff here uh, at headquarters, well, in the, in the Boston office. And um, we were trying to remember when I started here at the AMS, it was January 3. And it felt like I've been here forever. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so wonderful to feel that uh, you're comfortable and welcomed by individuals. And it's wonderful to get to know the new community that we have here at AMS. Now, uh, I do realize that the one big shift that AMS did uh, when it comes to the hiring practices is that they hired a non-meteorologist in this particular position. Now, that was a, 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 a very interesting shift in mentality and bringing a lot of good things from the outside world and a lot of... Uh, um, experience and connections and um, experience with running nonprofits. Also, for me, coming to this uh, organization from an, uh, from an outsider's or bird's eye view offers the opportunity to be a little bit more um, unbiased. I don't have any pet projects. I don't have any favorites anywhere. Um, and I can actually take a a step back and assess the association uh, like a consultant, more or less, who hasn't been involved in the in the insights. Um, So that is actually a big advantage. Plus, I have experience, as I said, with other organizations. So I don't start from scratch coming here at the AMS. Um, What was was the other question you asked? Well, it's just 
I think you did a great job answering it. I mean, it was just kind of getting your perspective on, you know, both the, what appears to be the growing shift towards um, more and more women, mm. um, you know, rightly so, um, getting into leadership positions in the for-profit and nonprofit sector. And then, of course, you know, your opinion on just how it's gone going at AMS. Mm. So yeah. I think that uh, people are much more open-minded when it comes to their hiring, not mm-hmm. only about women, but people of color, immigrants, yes. right? We mentioned that. Uh, and uh, backgrounds, they don't have anything or they try to not have a bias towards or against a certain uh, type of individual. They might have, they definitely do have a preference towards certain types of personalities that they want to uh, bring in an organization because the personality actually needs to match the culture. Um, and they're, they're willing to actually think outside the box even when it comes to uh, expertise and experience and backgrounds uh, and uh, provide opportunities to pretty much their best candidates, the best the individual they consider to be the best fit for the job. Um, I think that this is enriching organizations. This is providing opportunities for growth And it also provides more flexibility when it comes to change. And nowadays, you need to actually have uh, your beacons open, um, your eyes and ears open when it comes to disruptive trends in different uh, items, different programs that organizations are offering. For example, publications, right? Um, Journals are not the same that were in 1910. people don't read paper anymore. What was the last time that you bought a magazine at the newsstand? Um, what was the last time that you actually even bought a book, like a physical copy of the book? Yes, I know you're gonna show me one. Week, yeah, it's my I have book. mine too. I love books. And I really this, overstory. <laughs> I love books very, very much. But you know, when I travel, I upload something on my Kindle, right? Mm-hmm. No, totally with you on obviously the chain. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I know. I, I totally understand where you're coming from. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, when we were chatting initially, just talking, just getting to know each other, one of the big things you brought up, you sort of have maybe had touched on this in the very beginning of this interview, but you talked about, about how AMS at the courts keeping people safe and how I believe your superpower is doing research that will keep people safe. So when did you sort of develop that passion and what does that mean to you doing research that will keep people safe? Uh, When it comes to my own science, Mm -hmm. um, I'm an astronomer by training. So I do astrophysics. I I did study uh, space weather, which had to do with hazards from, um, from the sun, pretty much out in space. But this is not an imminent danger. Uh, One of the things that attracted me at the AMS to begin with, and I wanted to apply for this particular position a year ago, uh, was exactly because the AMS's mission is keeping people safe. Remember, we're not doing science for the sake of science. We're doing science because we want to come up with an understanding on uh, all these erratic weather situations and also come up with solutions which would actually give earlier warning to individuals who are under a storm of how severe the storm is and what they can do in order to keep themselves safe. Um, 
each uh, come up with solutions that are green and they're also efficient. Uh, the AMS is, is also working with, weather, uh, with water, which means water sanitation, clean water. You know, there's some things that we take for granted very frequently and they're not exactly um, a given for everybody. We live on the 21st century. We're still talking about um, not having clean water to bathe in certain areas in the US, which is one of the most powerful countries in the world. So um, that's exactly what I think that the superpower of individuals who are doing science here is to provide the information and solutions to actually keep people safe. I appreciate you sharing that. I appreciate what you're doing. Let me ask you, did you see the movie can Don't add, Look Up? Can I add one more thing? Sure. Uh, I was in New York, in Long Island, when Sandy mm -hmm. hit. Remember uh -huh. Sandy? Yes, I do. I had friends that lived in Manhattan at the time. Oh, my goodness. It was a nightmare in the making. I, I was stuck in front of the TV, and I would hear individuals saying, oh, it's coming a couple of hours in you know, 30 minutes and this and that. And I could hear the wind howling outside my window. And I was, I got so exhausted, mentally exhausted. I was like, you know, I'm going to go to bed. That's it. <laughs> Done with that. So I woke up the next morning and there was this eerie sort of quiet uh, around the area. I took a shower, I had my breakfast, et cetera. And I opened the door to take a walk. And it was like a disaster area around me. We're talking about trees on people's cars, on people's houses. I was so lucky. I never lost electricity. Mm -hmm. I was one of the very few in Long Island that did not, not lose unbelievable. it. It was unbelievable. But you know something? Because we had that warning, people took precautions and we didn't lose lives. Think about it that way. Yep, 100%. What, what do you, I wanted to ask you, did you see the movie Don't Look Up? Oh, goodness, yes. And by the end of it, I was crying. Yes. <laughs> yes and, I and how, how I know, uh, I don't want to try to think of the right question here. It's not how relevant is that movie, but what do you think that movie is trying to say and how, how real, real is that? I think one of the things that movie is trying to tell us is we need to actually put our trust in science and scientists. Mm -hmm. um, and what and to that point, I mean, what are what are things I know, uh, you know, briefly, we, we had talked privately that um, AMS has, you know, an office in DC that's focused on like the policy side of stuff. So what are things that the AMS ha has been doing to sort of just educate the population on the value of science, if any? We are communicating through our local chapters at the community level. Mm -hmm. We also issue statements, which are more or less white papers that uh, talk about specific issues from scientific issues, such as climate change, to uh, more practical issues or day-to-day -day practical issues, as in um, how to make your meetings, your conferences green. What does a green conference look like, right? What are the best recommendation? And all those white papers are being communicated through memos to whomever wants to listen on the Hill. We're not political. We're definitely non-partisan. What we do through those statements is what we communicate the updated 
science on different subjects without including all the scientific jargon that is in, in uh, um, journal, scientific journals. So one of the things that we're doing is trying to communicate those best, not only uh, best practices, but also what the new scientific discoveries are in different areas of interest. I'm looking forward to the newest one that we're, it's being drafted now, it's on hurricanes. Mm. You know, for certain areas, especially here in the U US, hurricanes is a huge hazard. So um, what does the science uh, say when it comes to their formation? And also what's best practices if you want to keep yourself safe from them? Absolutely. Well, I'm glad you guys are doing that. <laughs> Just don't, don't run towards one. Okay. I think. It's funny as I look around right now, I think we're actually due for a storm here in Austin. I can start to see the sky changing and whatnot. Um, Stella, um, I know obviously you have about 12,000 members, right, that are a part of AMS. For those that are listening to this episode, whether they're directly, you know, employed in the scientific community um, or just find this interesting about your work, how can people get involved? They can definitely become a member if they want to. Uh, membership is not confined only to uh, scientists or practicing meteorologists or um, those who have a degree in atmospheric science, sciences. Uh, so just go to our webpage and become a member. Uh, that's one way. And another way is we have a new product called the Weather Band. Yes, it's a band. And yes, it provides uh, uh, webinars for individuals on everything weather weather, everything, climate, and everything, water. So we have different um, subject areas that we cover every, almost every week. Uh, and this is mostly for individuals who just want to know what's happening in, in the area. And they are interested in uh, uh, learning a little bit more from the scientists themselves on different, um, about different aspects of atmospheric sciences. So uh, you can either become a member, you can subscribe to Weatherband and uh, get an idea of or get educated on uh, different aspects of meteorology. And of course, come, come join our meetings. We have meetings of all kinds of uh, uh, subject matters pretty much everywhere in the U.S. We're just moving around depending on the, the subject. So come join us. That's awesome. I'm on that area of your website right now. Uh, join the band. The global, global community of weather enthusiasts is waiting for you to learn about and share your love of science, gain cutting edge insights from the American Meteorological Society, whose members have been in the forefront of weather research for 100 years. This is you really cool. I love about the weather bonds that has a very active forum. So uh -huh. every time that uh, there is a new um, a new discussion. Discussions are live. So if you go on a new episode of the Weather Band, when uh, the new, uh, they're not just podcasts, there's a video component of that. Um, you can ask the scientists directly, whatever question you want. Uh, but even if you attend something and you think about a question later, just put it on the blog, that can actually start a, a conversation amongst the whole community. That is both informative and fun. Okay, sort of last question on this, because you bring up, as we talk about um, the weather band, everything, it made me think of, what's the deal with local news and weather? Or I even check like the weather on my iPhone, right? Mm -hmm. And it's wrong 
such a high percentage of the time, I feel like. And like, for example, last Sunday, mm-hmm. we were, it was predicting that there was going to be thunderstorms. Mm-hmm. We were supposed, I was supposed to go on the lake with my girlfriend and, and some other friends. And I knew that it was going to pass over, but it was like pretty. And everyone's like, no, it's going to be big thunderstorms. And I'm like, it's going to pass. Right. Cause like, that's just been the pattern living in Austin. Now we are, they're always predicting these thunderstorms, then nothing happens. So why is it still so hard? And we have all this technology around us in 2022 for Mm -hmm. the weather to not just be totally accurate. And sometimes I like, I mean, maybe it's me, like, it sounds like a little like paranoid or something, but I think it's some sort of, um, it's not that it's a hoax, but like, I just don't get why it can't just be accurate. Why is it so hard to predict the weather? So predicting the weather is the same thing as predicting the future, right? So the way that you predict the future is you look at the past and you build a model or you make an extrapolation and you take into account certain things. Uh, I'll tell you another example. Forget about the weather for a second. You go to the supermarket, right? Mm -hmm. Every day. And you expect to find your favorite brand of butter, right? And there are yeah. five different brands of butter, but you, you want to find this particular one. And you take it for granted it's going to be there all the time. But here's COVID and all kinds of disruption in the distribution area. Or here suddenly all cows die for that particular brand. They have problems even uh, having access to milk to make your butter. And you arrive there, you're like, okay, so what's going on in here? And not only that, you see other shelves empty. The weather is a little bit like that. You're trying to make a prediction based on the information you have in your hands. And if the information does not include um, disruptive phenomena that happen suddenly, then you can't include in your models, your predictions, right? Uh, it's, It's very interesting with local weather is being affected by many, many things, including the the overall structure of our atmosphere, interactions of different patterns, but also it's also, it's been uh, affected by um, urban development. Once Mm -hmm. you erect a building or you cut down trees, you change your microclimate one way or another, right? More heat is being retained, less humidity, all kinds of things like that. So, all those factors come. It's in. a great answer. I all right. I'm on is, now, you know, now. I have more faith in the in my local weather man. It's, it's your you know. It's, it's the same thing that people are saying. You know, there's a, a, a 70 percent chance of an asteroid hitting Earth. Right. But that mean are you going to kind of try to move to a different planet? Right. All that tells I, you is chances are you you won't even you won't even see it right. I do wish my one thing, and this is was brought up for my friend, Scott Eisen, many years ago. I wish that there was a more optimistic view. Like, so right now I have the weather app open, right? Mm-hmm. And it's saying, it's saying at five o'clock, it's 140 central here. And it's saying at 5 p.m., there's a 30% chance of rain. Yeah. I think instead it should say there's a 70% chance of sunshine. You know, that's an excellent point. That would be way more just positive. I know. I know. But you know what the interesting thing is? Uh, The human mind is getting captured uh, and sort of 
um, attached to what we see directly. Right. So if it tells you 90, even if it tells you 30% of sunshine, forget about sunshine, 30% of sunshine, if it rains, you're going to say, but this app told me about. Exactly. So shining. it's setting I'm you up. All right. Going. So it's. What's going on? <laughs> yeah. It's keeping the expectations low. Or keeping expectations to a much more reasonable. Right. Uh, no, I, uh, I I appreciate that. Stella, thank you so much for coming on and being a guest on our podcast. This was really a pleasure to chat with you. And I personally am just passionate about what AMS is doing. So I, I found getting to know you and learning about the organization just fascinating. And I really would you know, encourage anyone listening along to become involved with AMS and certainly check out the AMS weather band. I think that's a really great way for people to you know, initially get involved in maybe non-scientists or meteorologists, but want to learn and, and be a part of your community. Yeah. And you know something? Through the weather badge, you will be connected with individuals whose knowledge about specific subjects are much, much more vast than mine. And you can ask those questions as in, you know, why isn't my app working today? And what's with the negative numbers all the time? Why do we put 30% percent? 30% rain on the app instead of the 70% and just get answers. And this is a wonderful way for individuals to actually interact. I, I love geeking out with, with people through the weather, but it's really fun. That's excellent. Love it so much. Well, thank you again, Stella. Appreciate you being on this episode. And thank you to everyone who continues to be a listener and supportive of the Charity Charge podcast. Take care until the next episode.